Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well-known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live firmly believes that movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. We try to bring you a variety of stories about different movement professionals and practitioners, both how they started and what they do professionally. It wouldn't be possible to do this without the generous contributions of time from all of our guests. And we appreciate any feedback that you can give us, any reviews on Apple Podcasts, emails with guest suggestions, things you like about our interviews. This week, we have part two of our interview with Dr. Carla Wolford, who is a chiropractic physician, a CrossFit Games competitor, and a CrossFit facility owner. We're going to learn about what she does professionally. Again, a big thank you to Joe Bauer of All Around Joe Podcast, who was generous enough to introduce me to Dr. Wolford. I think you'll enjoy part two of our interview with Dr. Carla Wolford. Welcome back to Moving to Live. Two weeks ago, you had the opportunity to hear us talk to Dr. Carla Wolford, who's a chiropractic physician and CrossFit uh, gym owner, about her path to finding CrossFit and also, more specifically, finding uh, or deciding to go into a career in chiropractic medicine. And if that wasn't enough, also getting a master's in rehabilitation and having a little bit of experience as a college strength coach. We're back with part two of the interview. We're going to find out a little bit more about how she made the decision to open EHP, uh, Elevate Human Potential, which is her chiropractic practice and a CrossFit facility, as well as finding out a little bit more about what CrossFit is and what chiropractic care is. So Dr. Wolford, thanks for talking to Moving to Live a second time. Yeah, thanks for having me. You mentioned at the end of our last interview that uh, you found CrossFit up in Colorado and you found essentially a team where you previously didn't realize that you were missing that. And I think given your career in uh, college sports, that probably was very important as far as part of, mo- part of your movement practice. I'm curious about, uh, for people who don't know, if somebody says you do CrossFit and they say, what is that? What's your description? How do you explain <laughs> what you do at uh, Elevate Human Potential? 
So CrossFit is constantly varied functional movements performed at higher intensities. And that intensity level is dependent upon the person that's doing it. So whether you're, uh, we have three-year-olds at our gym up to people in their 70s, and everybody's intensity level is going to be what's high for them. And so I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand when they think, oh, I can't do CrossFit. I can't do what those people do on ESPN. Yep. But just because you play flag football when you're in fifth grade doesn't mean you're going to play in the NFL either. It's it's very similar. These are 0.001% of the population that does CrossFit that is on ESPN. So um, I think that the CrossFit Games has been a a really great thing for CrossFit, but it's also been a really terrible thing. <laughs> and I think the uh, owner, like people who run and do all the CrossFit seminars, and I think they think the same thing. I have a friend of mine who's a former CrossFit owner, Eric Malzone. And Eric's comment was, he said, so many CrossFit gym owners are concerned about how many athletes do I have that qualify for regionals or nationals? <laughs> and he said, what they should be concentrating on is are my clients or my customers happy? And am mm -hmm. I having them there consistently, even if they never qualify for regionals or nationals? Yeah, that's, that's um, really rare, um, first and foremost. And, you know, as a business owner, you have to also look at the masses. And I know there's, there's certain gyms in this country, right? But like, that's like in this country that literally focus on the elite athlete. And I've been to some of those and, and they're awesome and they're cool, but I'm as a doctor, I'm more concerned about how am I bettering the people's lives that come through this door. Um, some of them may never compete. I don't really care. They they do our little like charity throwdowns and they come and do it and have fun. And I, I think that's really cool because they're doing it for a good cause. But you know, if you never want to compete in it, okay, that's fine. You know, some people will say, like, well, I can't, I can't walk on my hands. And I'm like, you know when you go out of this world, are you going to be judged because you can or cannot walk on your hands? You know, I, as your coach, want you to be able to squat because guess what? You're going to want to do that to get on and off the toilet so you can live on your own longer in this world. I want you to be able to press overhead so you can put things on shelves and take things down um, so you can, you know, have a better quality of life. Do I care if you do muscle-ups? Not really. If you want to do one, we'll help you build the strength and the fundamentals to do one. But if you don't want to do one, then you don't want to do one. That's, that's okay. And I know from reading your bio and talking to uh, Joe Bauer of, of All Around Joe, who introduced me to you, that you have a little bit different outlook as a competitor. You have competed at quite a high level, but I don't remember if Joe told me this or I read this on uh, one of the things that I searched out on the internet or something you said before we started recording, but you said, you know, there are some people who are at my level and you were very clear to say that you're not at absolutely the best, but from looking, you're quite good. You said there's some people that's their entire life. They want to qualify for regionals. They want to qualify for nationals and everything they do in their life revolves around that. You said, I don't do that. I spend time mm -hmm. doing it, but it's only part of my life. Was that a conscious choice? Would you consider yourself a CrossFit athlete first uh, a business owner first, a chiropractic physician first, or how do you encompass all of them and avoid saying, okay, I'm taking a sabbatical so I can try to qualify for the ne next regionals or the next nationals. Um, I really had to take a look at that. Um, I competed with Joe in the 2014 regionals and I, I really had no idea where my potential was. 
And they helped me see where that potential was as an athlete. And so, um, and there we, we trained like 90 minutes a day, five days a week. And, you know, that was great for me. Um, and when I moved back to Minnesota, I had to decide, you know, I was opening a business and trying to do that. And that year I did not, um, I did not make regionals in 2015. The girls in the, the central United States were really good (laughs) compared to the West coast. They were really strong and I just had to take a step back and kind of refocus. And that's literally 2015 was the only year that I trained to make it to regionals. Um, since I started CrossFit and that was the only year I didn't make it. Uh, and so really having to figure out what's an intrinsic goal versus an extrinsic goal is really, really something that I need to do. And so in 2016, I sat down with my coach and I had a coach at that time. I I don't anymore, but I said, these are, this is what I want to do. Like, these are the goals that I want to do. And this is the amount of time I have to do it in. And I knew at that point, like, Hey, like I could potentially be a games athlete. And I think that year in 2016, I was sitting in contention to go to the games before the last event. And I was, I missed the games by 20 points, not a lot. And so, um, but it really wasn't my goal to make to the CrossFit games. And I, I think it would have been really cool. Don't get me wrong, but for some reason or another, it didn't happen. And, uh, 2017, um, I was like, okay, I got my confidence back and I was crushing some of my goals. Um, I'd had to have knee surgery in the off season of that. Um, I tore my meniscus playing college basketball and the cysts and stuff that were around it were just, um, I couldn't straighten out my leg, which is a problem. Rehabbed it for about six months and it just wouldn't, it wouldn't go. So, um, had part of my meniscus removed. I was coming back. I had a really good granite games and really good off season and really good training leading up to the open. And I felt really good. And on the first workout of the open, I We'll have to send you the video, but I stepped down from a box, like stepped down, not even jumped down, stepped down. And I had an eversion, inversion ankle sprain, which was terrible. And little did I know there was an avulsion fracture, deep bone bruise. I tore two thirds of my deltoid ligament, anterior talofib, calcaneofib were torn. Uh, and then I my TBLS posterior tendon is completely frayed and gone and I damaged my peroneal nerve. So uh, now we know all of this. And, um, I, that was on my redo of that one. And I was like 45 seconds ahead of pace. And I was actually looking like really, really good. And sometimes neurologically your brain just misfires and just misfired. Um, I hobbled back. I came back. I did the second one somehow. Um, I was on crutches up until the day I did it and I made it through. And so that regionals was, uh, I made it, which was like a feat in and of itself, but I was not, my ankle wasn't coming around. So I was in a boot for like eight weeks leading up to regionals. And the only time I came out of it was I'd tape it and I would train and I'd go back in it. And so that was a little crushing because I thought I was coming into that probably in the best shape. And after that year, we, I didn't know all that stuff was wrong with my ankle. Each MRI like brought out other things that we're now seeing because of all the swelling. 
and no surgeon knew how to fix it. I've seen tons of them. Um, and so they say, well, you're pretty functional the way you are. <laughs> so what we might do would probably be worse for you. So they've been very honest with me. I've gone through PRP and other things. So as a competitor, that was a little crushing. And then last year, I kind of just, I didn't train a lot. I just trained with enough with the people in our gym and I didn't do a lot of extra stuff. And I was just said, that's okay. I got married and we were on our honeymoon in New Zealand for the first part of the open. And my husband's like, you know, where do you, know, do you think you're, do you think you'll make it? And I said, I don't know. I said, I don't feel as confident, but I said, I'm going to give it all I have because I don't really know what else to do. That's just who I am. And, um, I finished the highest of any open, I think last year. <laughs> and, um, I think I played, I was right outside the top 10 at regionals again. Um, but I definitely can't train as much as some other people for two reasons. Um, I'm 35 and some of them are, you know, 24. <laughs> there's, there's a bit of a difference there. Um, I might be able to compete with them, but I cannot recover with them. And I'm smart enough to know that. And, uh, I don't really want to train for six hours a day. I, for me, that's lonely. Uh, I work out with people. I do our class workouts. I do our comp class. We have comp class on Tuesday nights and Saturday mornings, and I do that. And I throw in some of my own accessory work. Now I'll, I'll do that by myself, but um, I don't. I don't have the capacity to do things on my own. I'm a very community based person, and I give props to those people that can train on their own. But the year I did that, I was super lonely, and uh, I didn't love what I was doing. So for me. I had to kind of step back and analyze why am I doing this? Like I, it's not my goal to make it to the CrossFit games. And I will say that I do want to go as a master's athlete someday. I think that would be really cool because I get a kick out of the people that are in their sixties and their seventies and they're still coming here and they are like defying their age. It's so cool. They are like grandma, grandpa extraordinaire. They are, out there snowboarding and water skiing and doing all these things. And that's, that's the kind of person I want to be. So to be able to continue the things inside the gym so that I can do all the things I want outside the gym. That's, that's what to me is really important. You've hit two interesting things uh, with that. The first of all, whether you recognize it or not, you've hit the ethos of moving to live in the sister podcast, Fit Lab PGH <laughs> movement. It's a lifestyle, not an activity. And it sounds like this is part of your lifestyle. It's kind of, you get together with your community and it's fun for you. Some people go out and they go to the bar on Friday night and that's their community. Your community happens to be working out, which probably for longevity is better for your quality of life <laughs> and your length of life. The other thing that I think is interesting, I've had the good opportunity to interview quite a few people for moving to live. And it seems to be anybody that I interview who's competed in athletics at a fairly high level and is still active at some point, it seems to be somewhere around 32, 33, up to 40. They hit the realization, you know, my ultimate goal isn't to be, quote unquote, as good as I can possibly be but it's so I can keep competing and keep moving. And it seems like they go from the competitive, even though they may still be competitive to look, I just want to be able to do this sort of thing. And I think that's something that really hits home. Yeah. Like the thing that's interesting is, you know, I'll still go and get personal bests on things. Um, 
they're just not coming as fast. They're not coming as rapid. You know, if I get a one or two pound personal best on something, I'm like joyfully like ringing our PR bell. Whereas, you know, when you first start and you first get into it, you're like, I jumped 10, 15 pounds, like whatever. I'm like two pounds, like two pounds in a year. Um, but you know, that's, that's some forward progress. And, um, kind of learned, like CrossFit's so cool because you, it's so many different movements. It's Olympic lifting, it's endurance, it's gymnastics, it's agility, it's balance, coordination. And I'm finding that I'm still getting better at certain things. And just when you think like, man, I don't know if I could ever be better than that. Um, and the thing is, is I really had to compare myself to me and, um, there's been a lot of people I've had to like stop following on social media. I'm just like, you know what? I can control what I'm doing. I can't control what they do. And just getting myself and also our athletes to realize that like in CrossFit, we use a whiteboard. So people report their scores and, um, you know, it's really a competition between you and you. And use the energy of the other people around you to help yourself do better. But it's not necessarily for comparison. Um, there's a girl this morning, and she's a teammate of mine, Megan. And she's, like, super strong and way stronger than me. And she's got an engine. I will, I'm a little better at gymnastics. Um, but we had this assault bike running rowing thing. And I was like, okay, I knew I probably wasn't going to beat her, but I used her as like, okay, I'm going to chase you and I'm going to chase you as hard as I can. And, um, I stuck about six seconds behind her on each of the rounds. And like, for me, that was like really good motivation. And for her, it was like, okay, I'm going to try and keep Carla behind me, you know, just like a, a good little motivator. And I think that's the healthy thing just to kind of keep you moving. We're talking with Dr. Carla Wolford, a CrossFit athlete, CrossFit gym owner, chiropractic physician. Dr. Wolford, I think what you've hit on is something that so many people involved in the movement field miss out on. So many people in the movement field, whether they're involved in CrossFit, marathoning, weightlifting, gymnastics, whatever it is, they drink the Kool-Aid and say, this is the only thing to do. This is the best thing. And there's only one way to do it. And I think you've demonstrated in the last few minutes. It's like, look, there's multiple ways to do this. I'm curious about after finishing your education, after doing your internship in strength and conditioning, what made you decide to open your own practice? You'd mentioned that you were in a job that maybe didn't fit you exactly. So what made you make the decision say, hey, I'm going to open a chiropractic practice. And oh, yeah, there's also going to be a CrossFit gym. Because <laughs> I think it, it plays in. I've noticed that uh, there seems to be two types of CrossFit facilities. There's the ones that kind of stand alone. And then the one, there are the ones that seem to be affiliated either with uh, very commonly chiropractic physicians or physical therapists. And I'm curious, I'll ask you as a chiropractor, why do you think it is that so many chiropractic physicians say, hey, I'm going to have my practice, but I'm also going to have a gym? I mean, the, the person who is kind of jaded would say, oh, they're just looking for clients because they can get them <laughs> injured and get them in. But we all know that is not actually what happens. Yeah, the, the jaded thing, you know, when I talk to people in the general public, they always say, oh, just so you have all your, your patients right there. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I see CrossFit athletes. I see high school athletes. I see weekend warriors. I see all sorts of people in my office. And, you know, the cool thing about my CrossFit athletes is they all have a coach. And whether they're CrossFit athletes at our gym or a different gym, it doesn't matter. But that coach is there and looks out for them. And, 
And typically they come to me before all the wheels fall off, so to speak. So like they've probably had a dysfunction and they're moving, like just kind of moved into the pain phase. Um, and so it's really cool working with people who listen to their bodies. And, and I think CrossFit athletes just tend to have that coach, that, that other person saying like, you need to go get this address. Like this is not okay. Um, and so I don't think the CrossFitters I see the wheels haven't completely fallen off yet. I used to work predominantly with the pro- a lot of the professional running community in Seattle and I love them all to death, but runners are the hardest people to work with as a chiropractor. Uh, that's my own personal opinion, but runners run and that's all runners like doing. Like they don't like biking they don't like swimming. They don't like doing anything else. They like running and they get that euphoric sensation when they run. And, and I can understand that, uh, but runners don't like to modify. They don't like to not do what they're doing. So to get a runner to heal and do all of the right movement things that you want them to do, like get them to do rehab, they don't love doing it. Now, if you get a CrossFit athlete to start doing those things, you're like, okay, say you've got like a scapular shoulder blade thing that's not working. It's you got dyskinesis and I don't want you to do shoulder to overhead for the next 10 days. I can say, okay, instead of these movements, I want you to incorporate these movements. You know, they might think it's part of the workout. It's actually rehab. Um, <laughs> you know, clever way of disguising rehab as this is your substitute and CrossFitters. I'm like, this is your opportunity to get better at these things. So instead of posing it as like, I can't do this because my shoulder hurts or my shoulders injured. Now I pose it as this is your opportunity to improve on these things. Uh, we had an athlete who had a toe surgery and she's like, oh, I'm going to be out for eight weeks. Like doctor said, no working out. And I said, are you in a boot? She said, yes. So, well, okay. Are you on crutches? No, for like two days. I said, cool. Come every day. Come at, like, if you normally come four to five days a week, come four to five days a week and we'll get you a spreadsheet. So all the coaches are on board of all the things that we're going to modify for you to do. And like by the end of the eight weeks, she was busting out strict pull-ups and all these other upper body things that she would have never have done had she been able to use her foot. And so I said, you know, just because 5% of you is broken doesn't mean we can't use the other 95% and improve on some other things. So I think maybe just the mentality and the outlook of a CrossFitter might be different because we do so many different activities. Um, The monostructural, like the runners, um, they're, they're challenging to work with. Um, I work with a bunch of wrestlers. They're hard too, because they are put in, I mean, they can't control the positions they're put in. And, uh, so we're working through injuries and in, in sports like that, I think are, are difficult. Um, but getting back to your comment about like, how did I come to this? Um, I was, I was living in Seattle and I went to, um, a camp at CrossFit Invictus and they had, recommended a book called the only way to win. And in that book, it asks you to analyze where you're at in your life and where do you want to end your life? And I did the, the work. I actually, I first egotistically answered all the things of like the way I thought my life should be. And then I went back and I scratched some things out and really answered them honestly And I was following all of my career path and loving what I did. I was traveling all over the world with USA Volleyball, weightlifting, track and field. And I didn't 
put family where I wanted family to be. And so like my like health overall well-being, I wanted to have that as number one because I know that if I'm not healthy, I can't help other people. Number two was family. And at that point in my life, I was not putting family anywhere near that. And so when I sat and thought hard and long about it, it was, okay, I have to move closer to family. Um, with the oath to myself that I am still going to travel and I'm still going to do all these things that I want to do if I want to do them. And um, came home and told my parents what I wanted to do. And they were like, okay. And honestly, I, um, I thought at first I would just come home and work in a different chiropractor's office. And I started looking for jobs and started realizing that, uh, none of them do what I do, (laughs) uh, or treat in the approach that I treat. And a couple that I had talked to wanted me to kind of fit into their mold. And I didn't want to be an associate fitting into somebody's mold. And where I'd worked in Seattle was actually amazing. Like I loved being an associate there. We got to treat the way we want to treat and practice the way we wanted to practice. And um, so I had no problem being an associate there, but I didn't want to be an associate and um, bill insurance, you know, literally to just adjust and see people for five minutes. That's not me. Um, I wanted to see people for 30 to 60 minutes. So I was like, okay, well, I might as well open my own practice. And then that happened. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to open my own practice, um, I might as well open my own CrossFit too. (laughs) So, I mean, hindsight, I would not suggest doing all these things at one time, but that's that's the way it it rolled for me. Um, It was a lot to take in and trying to balance relatively balanced, uh, how many hours I'm in practice a week versus running a gym versus coaching. And I really wanted to open a gym. There were a few in Fargo, um, which is right across the river from us, but there wasn't anything on the Minnesota side. And so I saw an opportunity and instead of, you know, when I'm in the office, I can treat one person per that hour. But if I can have 15 people in a CrossFit class and have the impact of teaching them how to move better before they move more and then move faster. Uh, I wanted to create that impact, not only with like movement, but how are they fueling their bodies? How are they recovering? What are they doing for their mind? Um, So I wanted to be able to have that impact with the greater population than being able to see people one at a time. And so that's how EHP came to be. I'm curious, and I'm probably putting you on the spot here. Your description of why you opened a CrossFit gym doesn't sound like a traditional gym, whether it's CrossFit or any other type of thing. You basically said, I want people to move better and improve their health. And whereas many gyms or movement facilities say that, they're really oftentimes saying that, but their goal is to force people into that cookie cutter. This is what we do. It doesn't sound like you do that. It sounds like you work with people based on their limitations. Where does that come from? What made you decide to do that? Because that's a little different from many gym facilities. Your treatment practice for what you've said is you want to spend an hour with a, with a, a patient is unusual in the medical community, unless they're working in a little boutique business like you have versus a large practice where they have associates. So why or what brought you to have this nirvana or epiphany? (laughs) I guess, first of all, for my practice, for all the schooling and things that I've done, 
I would like to say that like I have a lot of tools in my tool bag. I have the ability to use a lot of different things. But I think one of the biggest things that's missing in mainstream medicine or chiropractic or whatever, you know, PT, whatever, is our availability to educate. And, you know, me treating you doesn't take that long. But me being able to educate you so that you not only understand your injury, but how you are going to play a part in getting better and not only getting better to get out of pain, but getting better to then perform. That's like, that's my biggest thing. Like I actually don't love big time acute pain. Like I go to somebody else for a while and then come back to me. That's and not that I can't do it. Um, but I think there are other people that have the, like maybe some better tools and more equipped to deal with that acute pain. Um, I like you when you can move. And if you're in acute pain, you're not going to want to spend an hour with me. It's going to be brutal. Um, I like doing, I like a lot of people in the subacute. That's when I like to get people, um, or in the preventative portion of it. But, um, I think that education is the biggest thing. I mean, I spend most of my time educating people on how to take care of themselves. And there's so many fancy like rehab programs and things you can put people on. And I've, I've been a subscriber to a lot of those, but actually when I teach people rehab now, it's, I don't have any set plans. It's like, I watch the way you move and I go from that. And I ask people to take out their smartphone and I videotape them and I videotape me walking them through how to do that exercise so that they always have that coach that's literally on them all the time. And I found people are more apt to do it that way than to open a different app with different things. Um, That's just the way I found. So that's kind of the way I did it with the clinic. Um, As far as the gym, in all honesty, when sitting down and and looking at numbers, like (laughs) I knew that like gyms don't make a lot of money. And I think sometimes people look at a gym and be like, oh, they're charging this much a month for membership. They have to be killing it. I'm like, you just, you have to look at all the numbers and the overhead and the big equipment costs. And I mean, in Minnesota, your heating costs, right? Like you have to heat the place. Um, and I knew that it wasn't going to be a lot of money and I knew it was going to be a lot of headache, uh, for a while. And one of my, my biggest things is like one of my personality strengths is really having an impact. And, I wanted to be able to impact more people and I have like this big lofty goal to get um, 10% of the population to do CrossFit in this area. And that's the loft, that's a super lofty goal, but that's a goal that I have. And if one out of 10 can start moving and living healthier and then put that down to their kids and you know, you got to start somewhere. I can't get a hundred percent of the people. There's no way, no how, but, um, we have programs, we have three, four and five year olds. And not only do we do fitness, but we make it games They're It's fun for them. We actually talk about like healthy snacks and why you should eat broccoli or because sometimes if that coach, that big person that they look up to says it versus mom and dad, they're more apt to go and have it. Um, then we have our kids program for six to 12 year olds. We have a teens program. Um, we also have a really cool, uh, an adaptive athlete program. So, um, it's a program for people specifically with learning disabilities and, uh, we work with local nonprofits to help make that happen, uh, for them. And then we also have a longevity program, which is for ages 50 plus. So 
they might not want that huge intensity that the other CrossFit classes bring, but they're wanting to have a better quality of life. So that involves a little bit more balance, coordination, things that are going to prevent falls and trips and uh, things that usually send people in their 70s, you know, to the emergency rooms. And, uh, and then our regular CrossFit classes, we actually program three different levels of a workout each day. And some are in here for literally, they just want some, some fitness and some people want to perform a little better and some people want to compete. And so that's our way of having all of those people in the same class together. And they're all really working at their own intensity levels. So we kind of help people um, to do that so that we can all basically come and be that big community without doing exactly the same thing. And then the other hat she wears is a chiropractic physician. And I know the good thing about the middle 21st century is the fact that we have ready access to YouTube so we can see lots and lots of videos. The bad thing about the middle of the 20th century is we have access to YouTube and can see lots and lots of videos. <laughs> so I know some people in some parts of the country, chiropractic medicine is very common. You had experience with it. I did not. Um, and my first experience with it was actually about a year and a half ago. I do a local podcast, FitLab PGH, and two physicians, an osteopath and an MD said, you need to interview Dr. Pete Thomas, who is a chiropractor and an athletic trainer. He's a, he's a genius. And he's somebody who is very up to date on exercise and phenomenal. For somebody who doesn't know what chiropractic is, they, they see the YouTube videos where they see people getting their backs cracked and their joints adjusted. That's only a small part of what you do. If you mm -hmm. could just kind of explain when you do that sort of thing and the importance of exercise and movement, either instead of that or in conjunction with that, I think that would be educational for a lot of listeners. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, say I spend an hour with somebody adjusting them is probably two to three minutes if I adjust. And what an adjustment is, is something that's considered uh, on your mobilization scale. You have five phases of that. And where you can stretch is grade three, where somebody else can stretch you is grade four. And where you hear that cavitation, that little pop or click, that's considered grade five. And so that is basically helping restore motion to a joint. So sometimes you think it's the, the pop that's the adjustment. It's actually somebody moving a joint to restore some better, healthier range of motion. Now, on the other hand, why we have to go to school for a long time to learn how to do this is grade six is actually sprain strain. So you have to know what you're doing or you want the person to definitely know what they're doing when they adjust you because they can actually cause injury as well. So there's, you know, that's a four-year doctorate program is part of it is like, you know, at first, first do no harm. And so say um, somebody has a joint, an osseous, like, or a bony thing that's restricted First, we got to look at like, why is it restricted? Do we have an orthopedic issue? Now, um, some orthopedic issues, like let's take the shoulder. Um, some people get really scared if you're like, oh, I have a torn rotator cuff or I have a torn labrum. Well, guess what? I work with USA Beach Volleyball. I think 95% of our athletes have both and they're still competing and going to the Olympics. But um, you can do a lot with certain orthopedic issues, but at some point you need to refer to an orthopedist for those. Um, but if it's just a, a joint that's not moving, we need to restore joint motion. We can either adjust it. Um, a lot of the PTs do a lot of mobilization, which is also really great. Um, we can teach you how to do mobilization or movement that helps keep that joint there. 
And then I also look at, too, um, what soft tissue components or ligamentous components or fascial components are limiting you to be moving correctly. Um, You mentioned something with YouTube, like you're always thinking like, hey, this picture of this is what I think I look like, and then this is what I really look like. So whether your chiropractor is, I almost look at myself as like, I'm also your coach in that moment because you think you're moving the way you're supposed to be moving, but I'm going to situate you to the way you should be moving. And hopefully we have this like aha and we can start retraining your brain neurologically. Um, Once you have diminished pain, your brain has to relearn how to move in a better way, either to prevent future injury or to restore your current injury. And so um, once we get the soft tissue moving and the joints moving the way we need it to, now I take that and I start training you in that way so that you're going to minimize future injury. And I, I let my patients um, help decide their treatment plan. Um, do I simply like, do they simply want to get out of pain? Do they want to get out of pain and, uh, improve, uh, like everyday activities or do they want to get out of pain, improve everyday activities and perform? And so there's, there's a couple different levels that I will bring people to depending upon what you choose. Obviously, if you want to perform, you're going to have to first work on mobility and or flexibility, which is like my ability to move them through a range. Then you're going to have to work on your mobility is your ability to move your body through a full range of motion. And that's sometimes a big um, mind body connection that people don't have or they've lost due to injury. So sometimes that's a really big step. And then we have to work on like that joint endurance. And then we have to work on strength And then we work on power and then we work on sport specific movements to get you geared up to go back into that sport. Now, through all those things, um, I am a huge proponent of sports psychology. So there are things that have to happen mentally in each of those steps to prepare you to go back to play. Um, So you want to talk about return to play protocols. uh, Your your mind has one of the biggest barriers is the six inches between your ears Um, when you return to play, like your joint could be great. It could be perfectly stable, but you go in and you're not confident in that joint because you haven't gone through the proper steps of rehab. You're going to get hurt right away again. So I think that's one of the most understudied principles in return to play protocols is the mental aspect. So I get to do all of that in my clinic and I, that's um, why I spend an hour with people and uh, multiple times, depending upon what course of care they want to do. I'm curious, uh, are there times when you see a patient? Because I know I, my, my joke with uh, people that I know is many people spend more time looking for a mechanic for their car than they look for a physician or somebody to treat their mm-hmm. injuries or their problems. Because very often somebody will say, I know I mentioned a few minutes ago, the chiropractor that I see periodically, um, he doesn't take insurance. And I don't care because I look at it as like, you know, this is money that's well spent because I always come out with something for my toolbox of movements. Like, wow, I never thought of that. But so many people are going to say, well, I'm not going to go see somebody because insurance doesn't cover it because they're not in my network. Do you find that most of your patients that you get either from word or mouth or they just realize that from what you're describing, the patient who's going to do well with you? takes responsibility for their own well-being. They don't walk into your office and plop down and say, fix me, doc. They walk into your office and say, this is my problem. And through you 
teasing it out of them, you figure out this is what we want to do. This is what they want to be able to do. Do you find that there's some patients that you get and you just know it's like, okay, I should refer this person because they're not a good fit for me? Yeah, I've done that a few times. Um, now it, it's interesting because I think most people, by the time they hear of me, they know like <laughs> this woman just knows that um, she expects me to work. <laughs> so I need to put in the work if I want this to work. And one of my first patients, actually, when I moved back to Minnesota, um, I used to have somebody, uh, an athletic trainer who helped do a lot of the rehab in Seattle. And he is actually the head athletic trainer at UW right now. Great, great guy. And we worked so well together. And, and now like pros and cons, I get to do all of it myself. And, uh, after I met with him, my patient, he came to me for shoulder injury, slated for shoulder surgery. And I said, I need you to do X, Y, and Z before I see you in five days. And I need you to do this and keep this range of motion. So when I saw him back, he didn't have any clue what I had asked him to do. And, you know, I looked like I made, I sent him everything. I videoed him on his phone and I said, look, I'm going to give you one more chance. And if you don't take these steps, like you will have surgery hands down. And there's nothing I or anybody can do about it because you need to work. He took a big breath and he said, I realize you're right. Okay. Okay. So came back and I said, what I teach you how to do. And he was able to do it every time thereafter and really put in that work. And, and there's some other people who I said, I, I don't love acute pain and, and the ferret, like they have acute disc. I don't have a lumbar traction or that in my office. So I definitely have referrals for that kind of thing. And I'd say like, you know, and a lot of those chiropractors know me too, like, Hey, you'll be here for a couple of weeks. Then you can go see Dr. Carla. Um, so. I definitely think there are people who are more cut out uh, and they're the people who want to learn. And I think that's the biggest part of it is the willingness to learn about themselves. Um, I just saw another, I'm like the shoulder person up here. Apparently Um, I love, I love the shoulder. It's complex. So I get a lot of shoulder stuff, but I recently had a guy and a lot of shoulder trauma and I went through my first exam and I said, look, for me to order an MRI on your first exam is pretty rare. Like we, I like to get into your treatment a couple of times just to make sure that we can't make any ground. And I, I said, we're, we're going to get an MRI. He's like, really? I said, yep. And I was like, pretty sure you have a torn labrum and probably two or three rotator cuff muscles have a lot of damage to them. And I think you have a lot of arthritis in there. And just by my exam and I said, he's like, well, can you make me better? And I'm like, I can make you feel better for a couple of days, but I don't think I can make you better. And he's like, ah, like you fix everybody's shoulders. <laughs> and so got his MRI back, you know, and, and I said, I'm sorry, but this is, this is beyond, this is an ortho, a definite orthopedic issue. And so I think being open and honest with your patients is something to a lot of chiropractors, maybe just try and fix everything. And that's something I've learned um, early on is like, you know, know what you do well and know what you need to refer out and co-treat with, whether it's, you know, our orthopods or a naturopath, or a, I, I kind of refer back and forth with a couple of local PTs on who does better with what. And I think that's 
that's an, that's a good referral network to have. I've always said that if you're going to do something, you should do it differently or do it, do it better. And it sounds like in your uh, chiropractic practice in your CrossFit gym, you found a niche that you fit in very well to get people to move better. And if they do don't move better to move better after they see you. That is so true. <laughs> We've had the good fortune to talk to Dr. Carla Wolford. She's a chiropractic physician with a background in sports medicine. She also is a CrossFit competitor and a CrossFit gym owner with the goal of making people move more and move better. I think what's really interesting is she has the goal of having 10% of her community do CrossFit. And I think that's a a great goal and I, I hope that she achieves it. Dr. Wolford, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to Moving to Live. Thanks for having me, Ben. Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore MOV number two LIV. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you.